Hello and a warm welcome to the November NICE Guidelines podcast. This is your overview of any new or changed guidelines from NICE in the month of November. Our podcast is in conjunction with the NICE Guideline monthly newsletter, which is distributed all over North Norfolk to the clinicians. My name is Emma Lambon and I am a practice nurse and board nurse for North Norfolk Primary Care. And I'm here today with my podcast partner, Emma Smith. Hello, thanks Emma. As Emma said, my name is Emma Smith and I'm an advanced nurse practitioner and the clinical quality nurse lead for North Norfolk Primary Care. And this is your monthly snapshot in an eight to 10 minute easily accessible podcast to keep you up to date and highlight any new changes to the NICE guidelines. These are all applicable to all of us in primary care. So let's have a look at what's new. Well, there's been some some larger primary care updates this month. First one being in type two diabetes in adults. The second one being in chronic disease, kidney disease, assessing and management of. Uh, and then the COVID-19 rapid guideline has been updated, uh, particularly looking at managing the long-term effects of COVID-19. Then there is some also some interesting news items to report on this month relating to the diagnosis and initial management of ectopic pregnancies and miscarriage and an impact report on learning disabilities. Okay, brilliant. So let's start with the update to type 2 diabetes management in adults. Um, and this relates to SGLT2 inhibitors for adults with type 2 diabetes who have CKD. And it expands on the existing evidence to give SGLT2 inhibitors to type 2 diabetics with proteinuria. And that was published in December 2015. On the 24th of November 21, NICE reviewed the latest research evidence and they've made the new recommendation on SGLT2 inhibitors for adults with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease. So those who are taking an ARB or an ACE inhibitor, which is titrated to the highest licensed dose that they can tolerate, we should be offering an SGLT2 inhibitor in addition to the ARB or ACE inhibitor. So that's if the ACR is over 30 milligrams per millimole and they meet the criteria in the marketing authorization. So that's looking at the EGFR thresholds. It's it's worth noting that currently not all of the SGLT2 inhibitors are licensed for this indication. So just to take care, the only SGLT2 inhibitor licensed in CKD currently are canagliflozin and dapagliflozin. Great, thanks Emma. Well done for pronouncing those drugs because they're not easy. Thank you. It's an important update obviously for us all in primary care, particularly those dealing with those patients with diabetes. The second nice update links to it though. Um, Chronic kidney disease assessment and management had an update on the 24th of November and again recommends the SGLT2 inhibitors for adults with type 2 diabetes and CKD. It basically clarifies the term male in the four variable kidney failure risk equation. This is the equation which is used to calculate a person's five-year risk of needing a renal transplant therapy, which is defined as the need for dialysis or transplantation. So where the term male is used, it should be placed with a number one, and if the person being assessed is a male, and a zero if they are female. This equation and its coefficients are valid in in the UK population. It is important for us to use this version and not to use a version validated in another country. 
All of the links to these specific recommendations and the research evidence and equations can be found in the NICE Guideline monthly newsletter, which you would have had emailed out to you if you were a North Norfolk clinician. If you don't already receive this and would like to, just let us know via the North Norfolk Primary Care website and we can add you to the mailing list. Great, thanks Emma. Um, and now the third update this month, really pertinent to us in primary care from NICE, relates to managing the long-term effects of COVID-19. Um, so this updates the rapid guidelines um, sent out in December 2020, and there are a number of important updates in there. Um, firstly, relating to coding. So NICE are defining acute COVID-19 as signs and symptoms of COVID-19 for up to four weeks, ongoing symptomatic COVID-19, so that's the signs and symptoms of COVID-19 from four weeks to 12 weeks, and post-COVID-19 syndrome, and that's signs and symptoms that develop during or after an infection consistent with COVID-19, but that continue for more than 12 weeks and are not explained by an alternative diagnosis. Usually that presents with a cluster of symptoms which often overlap and can fluctuate over time and can affect any system in the body. Post-COVID-19 syndrome may be considered before 12 weeks while the possibility of an alternative underlying disease is also being assessed. In addition to the clinical case definitions, the term long COVID is commonly used to describe signs and symptoms that continue or develop after COVID-19. So it includes both ongoing symptomatic COVID-19, i.e. four to 12 weeks, and post-COVID-19 syndrome, so 12 weeks or more. There's also new guidance on symptoms. So the following symptoms and signs are important for us to be aware of as they're less commonly reported in children and in older people than in adults. So those are shortness of breath, persistent cough, pain on breathing, palpitations, variation in heart rate and chest pain. Excellent, thanks Emma. That's really useful for all of us working in primary care right now, particularly with the new Omicron variant. Let's move now on to some news for clinical interest. So NICE have updated the 2019 ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage diagnosis and initial management guidance. It advises that a woman with a confirmed intrauterine pregnancy with a fetal heartbeat who presents to us with vaginal bleeding, for example, but has no history of um, previous miscarriage, that if her bleeding gets worse or persists beyond 14 days, she should return for a further assessment. It also says that if the bleeding stops, she should start or continue routine with routine antenatal care. Essentially, she's then hopefully got a viable pregnancy. After referral to secondary or specialist care via an EPA euro equivalent, NICE recommends that they um, offer vaginal micronized progesterone 400 milligrams twice a day to women with an intrauterine pregnancy, which is confirmed by scan if they have a vaginal bleeding and they previously have had a miscarriage. If a fetal heartbeat is confirmed, continue progesterone until 16 weeks of completed pregnancy. It's just one, one worth being aware of, but not necessarily related to, to primary care in practice. Mm, good to be aware of. Thank you, Emma. 
Um, there's also a new impact report on learning disabilities to, to tell you all about. Um, so data collected shows that while some positive changes have already occurred, unfortunately health inequalities still, still persist. Um, and NICE recommends um, to address this, it, it's across system actions um, that are going to be needed. So for us in primary care, it's recognising that many people with a learning disability have considerable and often multiple physical and mental health conditions, and that they're at increased risk of developing chronic conditions, both from genetic and lifestyle factors. To help increase access to, to health care, the NICE guidelines on challenging and behaviour and learning disabilities recommends that people with a learning disability should be offered an annual health check to identify both the physical and mental health problems by an appropriately trained provider. So this is incorporated into our COAF and can be structured via an Arden's templates in System 1 and EMIS practices may well have developed their own practices. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Emma. It's really worth, worth knowing about. Um, so thanks for listening. I think this is, that is all for this month. Um, so until next month, um, we'll say goodbye. That's it. See you next month. Bye.